Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. It is so nice to be introduced by such a voice. Isn't it she great? I almost feel like we don't deserve it. <laughs> well, maybe we don't. I think maybe she we don't. like that sometimes. But we got it anyway. <laughs> That's right. And I'm Neil Michaels. And we are collectively the approach shot, as as Diane so professionally put it. Eloquent, even. Oh, that's the word I was looking for. I, I found it. Thank you. Hey, it is football bowl season. It is football, college football bowl season, and yeah. we're getting into the end, end of the NFL season. So, yes, we are in bowl season. And I was told I can't go to San Diego to watch my Cardinals play in the Holiday Bowl this year. Why is that? Because my wife says, no, I need you here. Oh, it's not that you can't. It's not that you can't. It's that you won't. <laughs> you physically said, you know, could. You know, honey, I really didn't. On the door. I really didn't want to. Anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were supposed to be in the Orange Bowl, but FSU, uh, you know, as as the bowl committee or as the uh, the championship committee said, FSU. You know, uh, man, that that is a whole thing. I don't even want to get into that. But I do want to tell you a story about okay. in a rivalry. Man, this is hard to say. Rivalry week. Rivalry week. Rivalry week. Like Zowie from, from <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> it, and that was crazy. I remember a rivalry week when I first went to work in Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. They told me, man. You have not been to a college football game until uh, you go to the Clemson, South Carolina game. I'll bet. Okay. I said, all right. Well, I was totally unprepared for the animosity and the vitriol <laughs> that, that came with that rivalry. Is that okay. right? Oh, yeah. First off, I got to tell you, when you drive around Charleston, South Carolina, I couldn't help but just laugh outrageously whenever I got behind some blue-haired old lady driving a Cadillac sedan Deville, mm. a booster of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Yeah. Oh, because boy. the bumper sticker just said, go Cox. Yeah. Okay. That's what they say. Yeah. And Clemson, of course, is the Tigers. Right. Which is a large cat. So I got to the stadium at the USC in, in Columbia. And of course, on the side of the stadium, away from where all the TV cameras were, was this huge banner. I mean, huge. The letters must have been maybe six, seven feet tall because the banner went the entire length of the field. And it said, and I quote, because, of course, the Gamecocks were playing the Tigers. I, I know where this is going, and it's not going to go well. It's not. <laughs> and it said, and I quote, you pussies can't lick our cocks. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you can't say this in public. You can't. No. But they can't. did. No. Yeah. But they did. And I tell you, man, they are. I mean, there were fisticuffs mm. in the and fighting even. <laughs> <laughs> even even that yes before the beer started to flow i have to wonder if the great college football rivalries usc ucla florida florida state georgia mm. florida georgia alabama mm. 
you have to wonder if that happens everywhere because I thought, and maybe I'm wrong, I thought the people who lived in South Carolina, knowing a bunch of them, were a little bit calmer about this stuff. But <laughs> you're here to talk to tell me otherwise, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when you're when when the name of your team is the Gamecocks, there's not really any place you can go except into the bad place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. with anything, with what's on your car, with what's on your shirt, and certainly yeah. when you're talking about other teams. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, the, the rivalry of, of the um, University of Louisville, University of Kentucky. I mean, it is it is the same. It is it is. I mean. People, people who live next door to each other and are nice to each other 51 weeks out of the year become enemies. Is that for that even week for football? Yeah. Because it is I, now because both football teams are good. Are better. Yes, that's yes. true. I, I, I can imagine that was the case always for basketball. They refused to play each other. Absolutely wow. refused until I think it was 1983. When they were both in the same region of the NCAA tournament. Wow. And had to play each other <laughs> the championship of that region <laughs> to go to the final four. I, to this day, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but to this day, I think CBS paid for that matchup to happen. Wow. That's crazy. I, you know, again, in areas that I thought were more genteel mm-hmm. and much more likely to, you know, be the, well, you know, made the better team win kind of thing. You're telling, you're here to tell me that's not the case at all. Not the way it works in real yeah. life. <laughs> I, I actually was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina for a North Carolina Duke basketball game. Oh. And I, I'm, I'm trying to wash some of the stuff I heard out of my mind because it would have embarrassed a sailor, but woo, they don't like each other down there, boy. Let me tell you something about, about Duke or okay. as, as they call it in Lexington, Kentucky, puke university. Okay. Uh, you may remember 1986. You may remember the name Christian Leitner. Yeah, it still gives, still makes me want to throw up in my mouth. And you still want to remember that half court shot that let Duke win by one point? Uh huh. The impossible shot that had no chance of going in. Do you know who has forgotten it in Kentucky? No one. Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, people who weren't even alive when it happened have been schooled (laughs) and are shown the videotape repeatedly. Oh, Chris, my goodness. Christian Leitner came in as a color analyst for a ESPN basketball game. Mm-hmm. He did not fare well at Rupp Arena. No, I can't imagine. Yeah. And I can't imagine yeah. why they put him there, except yeah. maybe to get that kind of response. Yeah, that was really not nice of them to do that. But um, <sighs> yeah, Christian Leitner, thank you for bringing that up. As a Maryland <laughs> fan, growing up a Maryland fan, Duke was not the team I was particularly pleased with oh that's right you were in acc when when i was in that was when maryland was in the acc and duke was there and maryland basketball was big back then and tom mcmillan and len elmore and oh yeah yeah Yeah. so christian leitner if i had never heard that name again (laughs) it would have been too soon for me oh well i'm sorry (laughs) i am sorry we could talk about something a little more pleasant if you'd like 
Let's do that. About how your eyes, to- your eyes have gotten much better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so is your beard. Oh, no, that's. A- yeah. You know, if, for those who are watching on YouTube, look at this. I know I've said this before. But Samsonite called and said, you know what? We're no longer interested in uh, sponsoring the bags under your eyes. That's it. They're gone, man. Like we had talked about Caldera Lab because they're a sponsor that um, we really relate to. Guys who are getting older just don't take care of their skin the way they should. And therefore, they look older because of it. And we both kind of went, yeah, yeah, nice talk. And then both of us started using their stuff and nice talk went to, holy crap, look at this stuff. It works. <laughs> the bags under my eyes are not gone because I don't think you can make them gone, but they are right. so much less pronounced. Yeah. And I know you had talked about this before, but Caldera Labs clinical trials have found 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger looking appearance by using their product for only a few weeks. Imagine me who's now been using it for three months. Right. You know, and it's, it's the the three most common skin concerns for guys are the fine lines, which Mm -hmm. make you look old, the dark circles around your eyes and the puffiness. You look tired and you look old. Yeah. You know, one minute in the morning and one minute at night is all it takes. And the wrinkles and the fine lines and the signs of aging are uh, reduced. I'm not going to say they're gone. Because right. like you just said, they may not be gone totally, but they are reduced and you no longer look quite so old. People don't look at you and go, hey, maybe you should go home and get some sleep, bud. And you know what? <laughs> right. You should go home and just get some sleep. <laughs> and, you know, the interesting thing is for guys who are in their 50s and 60s and even early 70s who are still in the workforce and who are still making presentations in front of people, you don't want to look that guy who suddenly looks like the elder statesman. You know, you don't want to look like a young buck because you're not, but you certainly don't want to have that be something that stands in the way of people doing business with you or people hanging out with you because they think you're older than you are. And even if it knocks a few years off of it, you know, for guys that are of a certain age, (laughs) it certainly does make things different. I know my wife talks about it all the time and, and it's not just those things. I mean, we've been using the clean slate, the base layer and the good, which makes our skin feel better. I know when I go to bed at night, I wash with like soap first and then I then I use um, the good. And, oh, it just goes to bed and your face feels tingly. It's it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Now, listen, you're going to have to admit something that it's it's almost Christmas time. Yeah. And uh, there are probably people, some guys on the list that you still have no idea what you're going to get them. Ooh, I think I know where you're going with this too. And I like this. So what you're going to do is you're going to take us up on our exclusive offer. And this is the best offer available anywhere. So you don't even have to look around. You just use approach at calderalab.com slash approach. And you can get what we're talking about for 20% off right now. That's 20% off when you use the code approach at calderalab.com slash approach. And you can make unforgettable first impressions that lead to the charming words. You look younger. They'll it. thank you for it. And I love that we have the best deal on the internet. <laughs> yes, we do. 20% off at calderalab.com slash approach with the code approach. Beautiful. We have a guest coming up, I understand. He's going to be approaching here in a minute. This guy was around for so long and did such a great job playing quarterback in the NFL. I'll do the intro, give a couple stats and stuff, and then just let him tell stories. Because there are going to be a bunch, and they're great. And he will be here in just a few moments. 
Stick around. If you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in taxes, please listen to this important message. The IRS is aggressively hiring and quickly ramping up their tax collection team. Act now and protect yourself with a call to Tax Alliance. Don't let the money you owe the IRS keep you up at night and ruin your life. You may be surprised at how much having Tax Alliance on your side can protect you from the IRS collections and help you save thousands on what you owe. Here's what a customer had to say. Tax Alliance did an amazing job helping me through a quite difficult situation, saving me tens and thousands of dollars that I would have been paying for many years to come. Tax Alliance is rated A-plus with a Better Business Bureau with no consumer complaints. If you owe the IRS at least $10,000 or more in back taxes, have unfiled returns, or have a payment plan and are still frustrated, call Tax Alliance now for a free consultation. 800-987-1097. 800-987-1097. That's 800-987-1097. Tax Alliance, your tax resolution solution. All right, we promised you we'd be back, and we're back. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels, and we teased that we were going to have an incredible guest, but we didn't tell you who it was. No, we didn't. Usually, usually we do that. I know, but we decided this was this was enough to let you guess because you may come up with it. We gave you enough hints. I did. Yeah. And besides, it's super duper special because um, this is one of my all-time favorite NFL players. I have to tell you that. And not because of anything he did. It's just over the course of your career, you went through so much crap and came out the other end being strong. So our guest today is a 17-year veteran of the NFL, Steve Berline. Steve, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, guys. It's an honor to be a part of it. And uh, I can honestly say I, I appreciate that introduction. Uh, having someone say that, that I was one of their favorite or most favorite quarterbacks. Usually there's a reason behind it. Like I helped them win their fantasy football league in 19, <laughs> you know, when I led the NFL in passing or something like that. But just to, to uh, compliment me for the accomplishment and for the perseverance. Uh, that's what I was most proud of, you know, just to to have hung in there as long as I did with all the adversities that I faced during the course of the career. And the funny part is that the adversity wasn't always physical. I mean, you had your share of injuries, sure, but sometimes it was an owner that was being cheap and trying to screw you out of money. Sometimes it was a coach that just didn't get who you were and how you were. And so the fact that you just kept on and the next situation always seemed to be something that worked for you. Well, you know, there, there were a lot of injuries, uh, but fortunately for me, until the last play of my career, when I snapped my right pinky finger on the turf in, in Minnesota, I, I never was really uh, shut. How shall I put it? I, I guess I took a lot of pride in being able to finish the game most of the time. I did have a couple of years where I was on injured reserve because of injuries, obviously, that, that were sustained. I had 19 surgeries during the course of my NFL career. And since I've had both hips replaced and a knee, and I have one more knee left that's on its way to, to needing to be re- refreshed. <laughs> uh, there were plenty of injuries. And, and uh, you know, I consider myself lucky to, to feel the way that I do now at this point with all that I've been through physically. Uh, but but that part of it was always pretty, pretty easy for me. I was always uh, known as a kind of a tough guy, a guy that could take a hit, a guy that would always bounce back and, and come back. And I wasn't going to let that 
be the reason if, if I could in any way, you know, have any say in that. I wasn't going to let the injuries uh, limit my career. And you nailed it, though, as far as just not being in the right place at the right time. I always say it was a, a timing issue. Uh, most mm-hmm. of the places I was. And that reason, you know, manifested it itself in many ways, whether it was the owner, Al Davis, uh, with the Raiders, not thinking that that I was the guy to get the Raiders where they wanted to go. And Jay Schrader uh, was the guy that Al Davis brought in. And, and uh, Al felt more strongly about Jay and his abilities than, than they did about me. It actually eventually cost Mike Shanahan his first head coaching job. Because Mike Shanahan wanted to start me, Al Davis wanted to start Jay Schrader, and guess who won that battle? It lasted about 20 games for Mike Shanahan, but through the rest of my career, it really was a matter of just being excited about a new opportunity, but really never getting that chance to be in a stable situation where I I had a chance to have a coach that believed in me and was willing to, to give me that opportunity and build kind of around me and what I could do. And uh, I didn't get that opportunity until it was by default, really, uh, with the Carolina Panthers late in my career when Kerry Collins quit in the middle of one of our seasons, the 1998 season. And I was the only guy there, and I ended up holding down that job for the next three years and had my my greatest years and really got a chance to prove myself. And unfortunately, that was ended by George Seifert not wanting to move forward with me for financial reasons so it was another setback but that was kind of the story of my whole career yeah yeah i i read a story steve as i was reading it i said i have got to ask this man to tell the story because it sounded great and and i think you, you may know which one it is is the touchdown you scored from yeah. five yards out man now i had more than i had more than one yeah but, but <laughs> this would day. be the green bay story right yeah. <laughs> green bay story and that yeah. was Truly my, uh, I would say the highlight play of my career and the highlight game of my career. It was a cold December day at Lambeau Field. And uh, the Packers, I believe at that time, had not lost in December at Lambeau Field in over 10 years. So it just they just did not lose in that environment with Brett Favre at quarterback. I had had a couple of shootouts with Brett earlier uh, in, in both of our careers. But uh, this was kind of the epic one, the highlight. You know, it was it was back and forth game, and I think I ended up throwing for 350 yards and three or four touchdowns, and Brett was right there with me, and it was just back and forth. We were down four points uh, with about a minute and a half left to go in the game, and uh, we drove down the field and got it to to the fourth and goal at the five yard line with five seconds left in the game. So we all knew it was going to be the final play of the game. Uh, we took a little timeout and. Your fans, if they know me whatsoever of, of my abilities, they know that I, I was not known as a running quarterback. I was not very mobile at all. Uh, in fact, if Lou Holtz, if you hear one of Lou Holtz's number one or top five jokes, he's always talking about how uh, if Steve Berline got into a race with a pregnant woman, he'd come in third every time. So <laughs> point, point being that uh, I go to the sidelines and we, we're trying to figure out the play and Everybody's trying to throw out suggestions. And George Seifert with his classic wearing his sunglasses on a snowy, cold day in Lambeau Field. You can't tell where he's looking or what he's thinking. He just says, what do you think about the quarterback draw? And I'm going to tell you, everybody that was in that huddle just busted out laughing immediately. (laughs) Because they thought 
fact, Steve Bono, I think, fell to the floor. He was my backup. He fell to the ground laughing so hard. Uh, but then George Seifert said, no, I don't think they'll expect it. Uh, let's go out there and run it. So now i got to go out to the huddle and convince my teammates that we're going to play. And so, you know, they all want to know the play when they're worth this TV timeout. And they're like, give us a play, give us a play. And I say, you guys, you guys aren't going to believe this, but we're going to go with the quarterback draw. They thought that was the funniest thing in the world. They started busting out laughing like, yeah, ref, come on, man. Give us the real play. And I said, all of a sudden the referee blows the whistle and says, all right, we're back. Let's go. And they said, come on, give us the real play. And I said, listen, that is the play. Just do your job. Take care of what you're supposed to take care of. And I will get this ball into the end zone. And sure enough, uh, I like to say I soared into the end zone from the five. You know, I, I took the drop back. It was quarterback drop. Mm. Took a three-step drop and then took off to the uh, toward the goal line. And I made it over, barely over the goal line with the football. And if you look at the video, I always tell everybody I kind of soared over the top into the end zone. But that's how I, I remember it. That's not actually <laughs> happened. So, uh, but I got it in, won the game. That's the bottom line. That's, now, that's everybody knows, everybody who knows you, knows that story. Here's my follow-up. Once you told your guys, this is the play, this is what we have to run, did you think, there's no way in hell I'm making it in? Or did you think, I, oh, we'll get it done? I never had a doubt. I never had a doubt. I mean, because if you have doubt at that level, um, it, you, you will not succeed. So the, the, the example I give, I really had a lot of confidence in my athletic ability, not my running ability, but in my athletic ability you know, when I was in high school uh, at, a, at a, a very big, prominent high school in Orange County, Southern California, Servite High School, we were the number three football team in the country. I was being heavily recruited for football, basketball, and baseball, full ride scholarships, all three sports. Uh, I was the Orange County Athlete of the Year as a senior in high school. And so I, I believed I was a good athlete. Well, then I got to Notre Dame. And when you see little descriptions of me or people talking about me, yeah. You know, Brian, he's fairly athletic. And I used to take that personal. I was like, what do you mean I'm fairly athletic? I was the Orange County Athlete of the Year. I'm extremely athletic. <laughs> then I got to the NFL, and they start describing him, me, as, well, you know, Berline, he's very limited athletically. He's not a very good athlete. And I was like, where, where is this coming from? I go from being the absolute best athlete uh, where I grew up to being a not very athletic. Uh, so I always kind of played with a chip on my shoulder and took a lot of pride in those opportunities. I Once we made the decision to go with that call, I was 100% convinced that I was going to find a way to get it done. I love it. I would like Listen, to also point out that a cold December day in Lambeau is is very repetitive and redundant. I just, just want to let you know that. that gone without a couple of those adjectives, right? Yeah, for sure. And we will see in a minute here how uh, – how, how exactly confident in his golfing abilities Mr. Burline might also be, because we're going to come right back and talk about, about Steve on the course. We are the Approach Shop. Hang out with us. We'll be right back. Don't miss this year's hottest tour. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, live in concert. The Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. Coming to a city near you. Go to TSOTickets.com for info. 
a heartwarming tale of redemption, accompanied by TSO's electrifying music and visual effects. The ultimate rock holiday phenomenon. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, live in concert. The Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. A legendary blend of rock, classical, and holiday music for the entire family. Coming to a city near you. Go to TSOtickets.com for info. Don't miss Trans-Siberian Orchestra's The Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. I told you we'd be right back. I have never lied. We are the approach shot. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels, and I am not going to question that, though we both know that's not true. <laughs> Steve Berline's here, and and the interesting thing is I got a page full of like stats on Steve, but I, I there's there's another couple of stories I'm going to want him to tell before we go too far. But you you teased golf, so let's talk a little bit about golf. In 2017, I read an interview from a guy, I think it was from Notre Dame, who asked you, now that you're retired, what do you want to do? And the first thing out of your mouth was you wanted to play more golf. That was six years ago. Are you playing more golf? That's still my number one priority. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get there, right? (laughs) You know, uh, you guys know uh, with your life experience that you know, just when you you think you kind of got it figured out, uh, a lot of times there's another curveball that comes and uh, keeps you from actually being able to do all the things that you want to do. And and uh, you, know, you kind of prioritize what's most important. My my youngest child, my daughter Kendall, she's the youngest of four, two boys and two girls, and she's graduating from high school this year. Through a very a few various uh, challenges that have come up over the last several years. Uh, the golf has not been as much of a priority as I would want it to be. And so uh, it still is my number one priority. Whenever anybody talks to me about what I what I want to do more of, it's, it's I want to play more golf. And uh, I always thought at this point in my life, uh, coming up on 60, I'm 58 now, uh, that I'd be playing three or four times a week and, and just living that perfect uh, retired quarterback life. But, but uh, I haven't quite gotten there yet, but it's coming, I think. I believe... It's just around the corner. Now, we know if you don't play that much, then you can't really get that angry with yourself if you hit a bad shot because you're not out there enough to perfect your swing. But somehow I get the feeling based on your personality that that doesn't matter. If you're not hitting the right shot, you still got that inner fire. And you, are you, do you get mad at yourself or you? how do you handle that? Yeah, I, I get very mad at myself. I, I, that's always been my biggest challenge. You know, uh, whatever it is, sport that I, I'm playing, I, I expect to succeed and do well and live up to my expectations. And that started at a very early age. You know, I was able to control it uh, and find a way to kind of harness that energy through the team sports and uh, through my career because you have to. You got to be able to get past the mistake and move on to the next play and, and be able to compartmentalize both good and bad uh, experiences because the next play is the most important play no matter what. I've not been able to quite translate into the golf of that mentality yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm getting better and I believe that, you know, now I'm, I'm still hitting the ball almost as far as I ever could, uh, which is great considering all the physical surgeries I've had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think my my management and my temperament on the golf course 
has gotten a lot better with age, as it as it should, I guess. A lot fewer outbursts now than I did in years past. Did you get makes to people play want much to play with you more too in Indiana? Because I know the colleges in Indiana, Notre Dame, Purdue, IU, they all have great golf courses, man. The the, the golf course that I had at Notre Dame was not the golf course you see out there today. Okay. Uh, that right. it, was, it was a while ago, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. that was uh, out in 1987. Yeah, and I think the Ben Crenshaw course is there now, uh, where they played the U.S. Senior Open about three or four years ago. Uh, I think that course is only about 12 or 15 years old. Beautiful golf course. I love it. Uh, much a great significant upgrade uh, <laughs> compared to what we back in. Steve, I know we're talking golf here. And I know we talked football, but I want to make a left-hand turn here and talk about your basketball game. Because apparently when you first came up, you played a lot of basketball. And I absolutely love the story about Howie Long and you playing basketball and how he used to come get you. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was really a highlight time in my life uh, as a, a rookie out of Notre Dame, uh, getting drafted by the... LA Raiders. I was back pretty much back home, only about a, an hour, 45 minutes to an hour from, from where I grew up and went to high school. The word got around pretty quickly that uh that I was that I could play some hoops and that everybody, you know, was like, oh, you, you know, you want to you want to play some hoops, you gotta get you gotta get get together Burline. Uh he knows how to he knows how to play. And so uh Howie figured it out early and Howie, very competitive guy, obviously, um, and an incredible athlete for a guy of his size. Uh, but that was right when he was in his prime and he had that Terminator look going, you know, and uh, he would show up to my house in Manhattan Beach uh, and pick me up. Um, and we had the the 911 Porsche Cabriolet convertible with the top down, the turbo with the top down. And he's wearing his Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator shades and he'd pull up and honk his horn. And I was you know, 22 or 23 and I'd come running out there with my basketball, you know, and jump in the front seat with Howie Long. And I'm I'm like, wow, this doesn't get any better than this. This is unbelievable. And uh, so we go to this park in, in Manhattan Beach. And a lot of the pro volleyball players uh, would hang out there and play basketball too. A lot, of, a lot of really, really good athletes. That was kind of the spot to meet up. Howie would come in and we come and I go up with him and Howie would say, there's only one rule that I will not compromise on. Berline and I are on the same team. No matter what happens, Berline's on my team. Whoa. And so it's always his little his little sidekick because he knew that I'd find a way to get him the ball. And he he knew he could count on me to when he needed a big bucket, I'd find a way to come through with it. So uh we had a lot of good times out playing basketball in Manhattan Beach for sure. That's great. I love that. I think that's so visual watching, you know, having him come up in a Porsche 911 top down. Terminator glasses on, that haircut. Jump in, Brooke. Yeah, man. Of course and you did. Imagine him walking out of the basketball court um, as, as Howie Long in his prime and saying that one rule. <laughs> and everybody's like, whatever rule you want, you <laughs> Howie. Uh, you just tell us what, what the rules are. We'll play by those rules. <laughs> Love it. We're not going to play by the rules here next. We've got a six-pack of questions for you, sir, that are kind of all over the board. And we only ask you to give us your first answer. That's the rule we have 
on the six pack, which is next. Before we do that, though, got to talk about a last minute Christmas gift because we've got a deal for you. I don't know if you have learned all there is to learn in life. I mean, look at Steve, man. I mean, he went to Notre Dame for four years. He played basketball, baseball, football, and he's still learning stuff. He's almost 60. He's still learning stuff. So you can too. Now, the thing is, because of who he is, he probably gets comped everywhere he goes. But you know Mm -hmm. what? We've got a deal for you. So it's almost like being comped, but not quite. It is. I mean, I'm taking acting lessons from Helen Mirren. Yeah. And you're doing cooking? I'm doing wine appreciation with one of the world's best wine critics, James Suckling. But I got to tell you, you and I were talking before we got on about Michelle and how she hasn't cooked since when? 1983. Can I give you a list of the people who you can take cooking classes from at Masterclass? Let's see. We've got Wolfgang Puck, Gordon Ramsay, Alice Water, who is teaching the art of home cooking. And there is a guy named Massimo Batura who te- who has literally the best restaurant in the world. And I'm watching a little bit of his stuff today. He teaches you how to make tortellini, how to make breadcrumb pasta. And this is all available on Masterclass. Yeah. And you think, well, yeah, I would do that, but that's got to be really expensive. But John, I don't think it is, is it? 10 bucks a month. 120 bucks a year. And you don't even need a masterclass to do that math. That's easy. Yeah. And it gets even better because if you were to join now today while we're talking, I like the old commercials. So you don't forget, do it before midnight tonight. Yeah, Uh, do it now. But if you were to join for 120 bucks a year, 10 bucks a month for a one-on-one class, and you can pick from over 180 different masterclass instructors, but you will get one for free that you can give to somebody else. That's not for free. That is a buy one, get one. Yes. That's like being comped. It isn't it though. So you can give an annual membership and get one free at masterclass.com slash approach. It's it's right now. You can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash approach. One more time for the slow ones who are writing it down. It's masterclass.com slash approach. Offer terms apply. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-441-9109. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-441-9109. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-441-9109 to donate your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts. And we are back again with Steve Berline on The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. 
I'm Neil Michaels. I like Steve. I like how you jumped in on the masterclass commercial. Tried to help us out there. Enough nicey nice here, Mr. Burline, because you know this is where it gets a little a little dicey. We got a okay. six for you. Here's the way it works. We ask you six questions. We're gonna fire them off at you one after the other. We want the first answer that comes to mind. If you want to embellish on the reasons, we'll allow that. But if we catch you going, hmm, let me think about that for a minute. Ah, sorry, that's gonna that's gonna come across. Okay. All right. You got this? You ready? I, I hope so. I hope my wit is quick enough uh, and my memory is quick enough. So do we, because otherwise this really falls flat on its face. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Question one. I recently read an interview where you say that even these days you have people walking up to you saying, I know you from somewhere, or did you go to my high school? Who's the one person with whom you played? that was terrific, but would also be considered under the radar? That's a good question. I can't be live. I got to, I got to come up with something. Under right the radar. Here we go. Oh man. I would say, uh, Wesley walls, Wesley walls, my tight end from the Carolina Panthers, who at the time during those years was one of the, the very best tight ends in the NFL. And, uh, he was a name that uh that people recognize very very quickly and uh but but he was a tight end so his face wasn't always out there people didn't always you know and we didn't have our helmets off as much back then as they do now today and so uh he was a guy that was a great football player and people would look at him and say boy you look familiar i should i know i should know you he's the one that jumps out at me for sure that is a great choice, especially considering back to your story about when you ran the five yards in Green Bay. Everybody yeah. on the planet knew you were going to walls. Everybody knew you were throwing to walls for the touchdown. And for the record, he thought I was going to him too because there was a <laughs> there was an adjustment in that play where if they did not give us the right look, he was my safety valve. I was going to, instead of taking it and running, if they had too many people in there, I was going to throw him a quick pass. So he was, that was what I was going to do with it. So he was, he was surprised too. (laughs) All right. Question two, what's the most memorably bad golf shot you've hit in organized play? Uh, Well, I could say the, the worst experience I had on a golf hole was in one of the uh, old CGA celebrity golf association events. Uh, I used to play that event up in Tahoe every year for about 16 or 17 years, but there were several events. And there was one that we had in Texas, in Dallas, where I was actually fairly well admired, I, I guess we could say. I, I still go back to Dallas and people remember me for my two years there, how I com- you know contributed and helped get the Cowboys to the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl. I was in a very comfortable environment. The course was Hackberry Creek in Dallas, I guess is in Irving, Texas. We got this decent-sized crowd, and it was a par five. And I uh, was really playing good golf at the time, but I hit a complete slice when I was trying to hit a a little bit of a baby draw. Mm. And there were homes on the right side. And there was a family and a party going on in these houses uh, over on the right. And there was a, there was a, a, it was on the other side of a lake, actually, probably 80 yards right of where I was trying to hit the ball. And I hit right into their their party. <laughs> Not only did I do it one time, I dropped and I did it again two more times. 
So three consecutive shots into their backyard, 80 yards right of my target. So Tim Cup's got nothing on me, man. That was that was my most humiliating experience on the golf course. I mean, honestly, Steve, if you wanted to go to that party, you should have just shown up. Like, you know, that's that's kind of what they said when uh, one of the people came over with the three balls and said, hey, we don't charge admission to come on. You can come over for free. Oh, wow. Great answer. All right. Question three. You're active with charities like St. Jude's and the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So if you could make a wish for yourself, what one wish would it be? Well, it would be it would be golf related for sure. It would be for me to have that. I, I've had a lot of incredible golf experiences. I've played most everywhere on everybody's list. You know, there's there's obviously a few uh, that are that that wouldn't be on my list that are on your list or whatever else. But um, I think my my dream would be to be able to wake up and be able to just get up every day and have the option to go play golf at my club, whatever day I felt like going out there and doing it and being able to do it, you know, three or four times a week would be absolutely fantastic. I, I think that would be my version of heaven. And I've got a club in Charlotte, North Carolina called the club at Longview uh, that I'm a founding member at. It's Jack Nicholas signature course, uh, beautiful, beautiful course. Uh, and that's where I kind of envision it happening and uh, maybe one day I'll have that opportunity. Question four. Who do you play golf with that makes you feel better about your game? Man. Uh, <laughs> thank you. There's a lot of ways I can go with that one. Um, <laughs> makes me feel better about my game. It's got to be some somebody somebody that everybody would know. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Well, um, I'm going to try to embarrass somebody here. Who would that be? Um, I, I would say my former Dallas Cowboys teammate, uh, who's a legendary guy in Dallas, Bill Bates. Oh, yeah. Bill Bates. Yes. Bill Bates is a very, very popular Dallas Cowboys uh, legend. A uh, guy that walked on at the University of Tennessee, earned a scholarship, and then undrafted into the NFL. Tom Landry fell in love with him and he ended up having an incredible, you know, 12 or 15 year career with the Cowboys. Got three Super Bowl rings. Um, amazing person. And he grinds on the golf course so hard and he just, he takes it so seriously. And it just seems like every single round, he, he just comes up a lot. Uh, let's just put it this way. Well short of what his expectations are. He's a guy that I think when I go out and see what he goes through on the golf course and how seriously he takes it, uh, I come off saying, you know what? It's not so bad. Uh, it's not so bad. <laughs> He's grinding. He wants it so bad and just can't ever seem to figure it out. Question five. And, and now I understand you made the Pro Bowl at 34 years old. and We didn't even get to that because we had so many great stories. I understand you won a Super Bowl, and so you have the ring. We, we understand all of that great stuff about you, Steve. But in 1991, you starred in the Flintstones movie, A Page Ride Out of History. And I hope you had a yabba-dabba-doo time doing that. <laughs> so what actor would you want to play Steve Berline in the movie about your life? 
That's that's a good one. Wow. I would say, uh, you know, I, I would say maybe maybe a guy like Matthew McConaughey. Oh, a Texan. You went right for a Texan. Yeah, and I don't know why that is. I don't. I don't. I know he is a Texan. He's a proud Texan. Yeah, but that's not uh, that's not the first thought that comes to my mind about him. I think he's a guy that uh, first off the ladies like him, right? <laughs> so I want that. I wanted to be some good eye candy for the ladies. You know, even though I think it's overplayed a little bit, those Lincoln commercials that he does, little voice and his little draw. He, he just has this this uh, confidence about him and this char- charisma about him. I, I think that would that would uh, I would feel good about him uh, kind of trying to catch the essence of who who I am and, and uh, what I'm all about. So what you're saying is you think you're very sexy and you have a lot of charisma. And so you need Matthew McConaughey <laughs> to be you because I'm saying I'm, I'd like to feel that way. And, <laughs> and, and my shoes would make me feel as though uh, I would be looked at that way. Yes. Hey, okay. just the, about the movie, The Flintstones. Did, did you know that the folks in Dubai didn't like it, but the folks in Abu Dhabi do? <laughs> that one, that's a good one. Carry did, on. Did you really break into the six pack for that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what, John, just for that, make, <laughs> he did. Just for that, I'm going to make this a seven pack. <laughs> I am. I have something that I had to ask you. Because obviously we're friends now and 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 we're busting on each other. Uh-huh. So question five and a half <laughs> is going to be, and I'm making this up. I didn't even write it down. In the Super Bowl that the Cowboys won 52 to 17 and what gave you your Super Bowl ring, at the end of the game, they took Troy Aikman out and they put you in the last couple of minutes in what they call a quote unquote mop-up role. If I read this correctly, you then proceeded to fumble the ball. Oh, come on now. <laughs> While you were up 52 to 17, which of your teammates has never let you forget that? Which of my teammates? Well, I, I would I would probably say Troy Aikman, you know, <laughs> Troy Aikman. Who As I, he's laughing on the sideline. <laughs> I'm so very close to. Yeah, he's like, he's like, dude, I worked so hard to get you out. There. <laughs> and and what, you embarrass me like that. Are you kidding me? Uh and as a good as a good leader as a quarterback, when and that was one of my, I think one of the the, the characteristics that people admired most about me, and why I was able to play 17 years and always found a home in the NFL was because I was a a good leader and a good teammate. Uh, I took the bullet for my running back teammate. I'm not even going to give you his name because he was a backup running back and he was very very excited and his elbow when he was trying to take the ball away from me knocked into my arm and the ball shot up out of the air so I will take blame for the fumble but I also will take credit we had I think we scored 52 points that day and I was older imagine how many times I had to get out there and hold for the kicks and I and I executed all of them perfectly (laughs) extra points and field goals and uh so I, I was actually you know out there on the field when there was a little bit of pressure, a little bit of before we got the game under control. So I did contribute in that way. I, I like how you made that a positive. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That was that was really well done there, Steve. 
<laughs> All right, question six. And we ask this of everybody who comes on the show. Since we are the approach shot, Steve Berline, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by? I live, I live by, honestly, my kids will tell you this without any hesitation. I have a mantra and it's, uh, it's DTRT, uh, do the right thing, DTRT. I'm very passionate about this. I've got a, uh, something that I've been working on for many, many years now. And it's my, one of my visions for how I still want to impact young people in the world today is to implement this program that I've started about um, the, the, the mission of Do the Right Thing or DTRT is to try to influence young people and how they make their decisions. Uh, so to understand that basically every decision you make, good or bad, has consequences and becomes a habit. And I, I really think that's where a lot of our young people um, are, are going astray. They get in the habit of trying to find the easy way out or, or make the easy decision or the decision they think is cool instead of really stepping back and saying, what is the right thing to do in this situation and conditioning themselves to think that way. Um, that's that's the rule that I live by. I always try to do the right thing in any given situation. Excellent. Hey, Steve, you're off the hot seat. Well done. <laughs> hey, if this is the hot seat. I mean, for a guy who came out and held for a bunch of extra points, you did great. <laughs> John, do we have time for, for one more story? Yeah. Lifelong Cowboy fan here. Love the fact that you really helped take that team to the Super Bowl that year. Aikman goes out with the ankle. You come in. You win the first game that you came in and started. And suddenly, Aikman's ankle seemed to heal really fast. And he wanted to play in game two. And Jimmy Johnson said, now nah, we're good. Can you pick up the story from there? Yeah, it was really the, the springboard for me getting the opportunities I got later in my career. Uh, I got traded to the Cowboys from the Raiders after that Al Davis situation that we talked about. And mm -hmm. uh, I was looking for my next opportunity. And fortunately for me, I was traded right before week one of that season. So I came into that season. I didn't know any of the team, any of my teammates, I didn't know any of the playbook. I didn't even have a place to live. Kind of like what Joshua Dobbs was doing this year up in Minnesota. And, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden you're just thrown out there and you got to figure it out. Fortunately for me, Troy did not get hurt until week 12 of the season. So I got to get myself kind of comfortable and I got comfortable with the uh, offensive um, play calling and the, 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 the playbook and all of that stuff. So when he did get hurt in the second half of the game against the Washington Redskins, who, by the way, were 11 and 0 at that time, that was their Super Bowl year. Uh, we were six and five at the time. And I come in, uh, we end up beating the Redskins in Washington for their first loss of the year. And then I went on and started on Thanksgiving Day against the Pittsburgh Steelers and Troy's knee and we beat the Steelers. So now we're we went seven and five against the Redskins. Now we're eight and five and now we're getting some momentum. And we got to win all of them. We got to win out to go to the playoffs. Uh, we got to get to 11 and five. So the next week, I can't remember who we were playing, but Troy started telling Jimmy, hey, I think I can go. I think I'm ready to go. And Jimmy said, no, you know, just like you said, Jimmy said, uh, we're, we're going to we're going to stay with Berlin. We're going to give you an extra week. There's no reason to rush you back. Let's make sure you're 100 percent healthy. Take another week. And it was a knee injury, by the way, for him. Indeed. So 
he, uh, we get through that next week. I think it was in Philadelphia. We go to Philadelphia and beat Buddy Ryan and the Eagles. And uh, now Troy is very serious. He's like, Coach, I'm ready to go now. I'm 100%. Let's get me back in there. And Jimmy said, wait a minute now, Troy. He said, uh, you were 6-5. and five. Steve is 3-0. and oh, So we're going to stick with him a little bit longer and see how long we can ride this thing. And so, I fortunately, we ended up beating the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints, I think, the last couple of weeks of the season yep. to get to 11 and 5, uh, and then made the playoffs. And of course, now going into the playoffs, Troy is getting, uh, I think I can say this on your podcast, he's getting pissed off. <laughs> and he now is not joking around. He's, he's like, this is the playoffs. This is why I'm here. I need to be in there. And Jimmy said, I'm sorry, Troy. We're going to stick with the hot, the hot hand. We're going to go with Steve in Chicago against Jim Harbaugh and the Chicago Bears and Mike Ditka. And uh, we went up there and beat the Bears in the first round of the playoffs. And so obviously the, the second round uh, was the same conversation between Jimmy and Troy. I started the second round game against the Detroit Lions in what was the last playoff game the Detroit Lions have won. So that was 1992 playoffs, the 1992 playoffs. We got beat by the Lions. Troy came in in place of me in the middle of the second quarter because the Lions were just running away with it. And uh, uh, that motivated Troy, though. He To this day, he says that wake-up call motivated him that offseason prior to our first Super Bowl. Um, you know, he really credits uh, – that experience sitting and watching and, and learning from a guy that had a little bit more experience really helped kind of shape his mentality going forward. And the next year he stayed healthy the whole year and we took it all away and won the Super Bowl. And where do you keep your Super Bowl ring? I actually have it in my backpack right over here behind us. So John, the, what we've learned here is that he's pissed off Troy Aikman. Mm-hmm. He pissed off Buddy Ryan. He mm-hmm. pissed off Al Davis. Mm-hmm. He, that, that's a lot of powerful people to piss off in, in, in the NFL. Yeah, don't forget Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin, <laughs> that's right. There's the ring. Can you guys see it okay? Yeah, that's great. Oh, my God, that's gorgeous. As a lifelong Cowboy fan, thank you for beating the Redskins when they were 11-0 and knocking them down yeah. a peg. Because I was living in D.C. at the time as a Cowboy fan. And I, between that and the Clint Longley game where he had dropped that beautiful diamond to Drew Pearson's hands, <laughs> two of the best moments a Cowboy fan could ever have. Well, I appreciate uh, being part of the part of those memories. It's awesome. I, I uh, every every Dallas Cowboys fan that's old enough to remember that 1991 season. Every time I run into one of those people, they they, they treat me like a king. It's the most yeah. amazing thing. And and. Uh, I'm always so grateful. I'm like, you know, thank you for remembering. I appreciate that. And they, they're they like, no, no, thank you for what you did for helping us get it back on the right track. So well, thank you for what you did for making this one of the most enjoyable shows we've had yet this season, man. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Glad to do it, fellas. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Steve okay. Berlin, thank you for joining us today in the clubhouse. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.